Last week, um, when I preached on the on Jesus and the Samaritan woman, I didn't intend to uh, to go any. That was just kind of. It's not a filler sermon, but it was a sermon that I was that I felt strongly about doing. But then I was going to search and and move on to to another. Area. Well, God had a different plan, okay? I think God, God wants us to just kind of camp out in this vein a little bit. And so we're, gonna, we're just going to call this series Breathless. And we talked about last week that, uh, that God is a, is a God who takes our breath away from time to time. And we're, we're familiar, we're so familiar with a lot of the stories in Scripture, especially the ones with infamous people. You all know what I'm talking about, infamous we know a lot about them in the sense of what they've done, but we don't really know them. We don't know them as human beings. We see them as, you know, last week we saw the Samaritan woman, and basically the label that, that, that she carries with her is, is what? Come on. She's got five husbands, or she had five husbands. Some of y'all are a step past where I won't go, okay? <laughs> Step past. She just had five husbands, and she was living with another one, okay? But we're familiar with those kind of stories. We know those kind of people, in a sense, through Scripture. And, and it, the one thing I love about Scripture is Scripture is real life, okay? God didn't spare the details of Scripture. He just gave us real life. And so I think God wants us to look at a few more of these people. And so we're going to do that. And we're going to look at where God collides with this infamous people. And by infamous, like I said, we, we know something about them. We know about their sin. Or we know about their, their sickness. Or we know about this or that. But we don't really know them. I mentioned last week a quote. I'm going to share it again. Life is not measured by the number of breaths we take. By the moment, but by the moments that take our breath away. And Jesus majors in breathtaking moments. Okay? He, takes, he will take your breath away from time to time. A lot of people call those moments different things. They're, they're collisions. I mean, that's, that's my word because literally we run head on into Jesus and we collide. And you know how you measure a collision? By the damage it does. By the change that takes place. When you bump into something with your automobile, that's a collision. It always, it always costs a lot more than you think it would. Well, the reality of, of bumping into Jesus is there's always a change of some kind. And if, we will, if we'll pay attention to those, those collisions, our destinies literally get altered. And, and we're changed. We're changed in a moment. We're changed in, in who we are and what we become. Uh, some people would call that what I'm talking about divine appointments. And whether you realize this or not, God sets up divine appointments with all of us. And, and here's the thing. We're going to have a lot of them over our lifetime. Can I, we, we, we've sang about the love of God this morning. But for, God does that. He sets up those appointments with us because He loves us. He doesn't do it to get even with us or cause us misery. He does it because He loves us. And He wants to change us. And if we'll obey and we'll pay attention, we will be changed in those moments. These are the moments that, uh, that I like to say are God-scheduled. Okay? He's, scheduled. He's got a calendar. 
And we don't always know about them, do we? Most of us just stumble into them. But God didn't stumble into it. He, he didn't bump into us in the dark and it was an accident. He was there waiting on us. And this morning, we're going to look at another one, uh, what I would call a breathtaking moment. And it's a, it's a divine appointment found in Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 20. And I'm not going to read that whole passage, but this, this appointment occurs when Jesus and a man who lives in a cemetery on the shores of the Sea of Galilee bump into each other. If you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to, to, to Mark chapter 5. And I'm going to read it. It's going to be on the screen. It's going to be in the, in the, uh, probably the New American Standard on the screen. I forgot my New American Standard, so I think it's New Living. I'm going to read it from the New Living, okay? And it says in, in, in chapter, I mean, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, So they arrived, they being Jesus and his disciples. They're, they're in a boat. And so they arrived at the other side of the lake in the land of the Gerizines, or your Bible may see the, the, the Gadarenes or Gergesenes. There's three different ways to, to call the place where they went. And just as Jesus was climbing from the boat, a man, and I'm going I'm to I'm no, I'm explain why in a minute, but I'm not going to use the word the New Living Translation uses, okay? And, and I don't think I'm going to use, well, I, I think I'm going to use the one that goes with this one. But anyway, it says, uh, just as Jesus was climbing from the boat, a man with an evil spirit ran out from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the tombs and could not be restrained, even with chains. Whatever, Whenever he was put in chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to control him. All day long and throughout the night, he would wander among the tombs and in the hills, screaming, and literally, the text says, cutting himself with stones. And when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him. And he ran to meet Jesus, and he fell down before him. And he gave a terrible scream, shrieking, Why are you bothering me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? For God's sake, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus asked, What is your name? And the spirit replied, Legion, because there are many of us here inside this man. Then the spirits began to beg him again and again not to send them into a distant place. Jesus had been teaching and preaching for a while in the, in the Galilee area, along the, the western and the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. And if, if you're, I mean, I, I'm not real good with left and right, but if, if, if you just picture the lake, at the northern end is Capernaum, which was basically Jesus' is, is adopted home. You have Magdala, and you have different little, little uh, fishing towns along the northern coast. You come on around, and Bethsaida was there. And, and he spent a lot of time ministering in this area. And he'd been preaching, and it was nonstop. You, you do realize when you read the Scriptures that the reason that Jesus heals on the Sabbath partly is to show that, that, that He's Lord of the Sabbath. Partly to show that, you know what, just because it's the Sabbath day, people's needs don't cease. But some of it was, was literally because there were so many people who followed Him. 
They didn't go home just because it was a Sabbath day. They still had needs. They still had hurts. They still had wants. And so as he ministered and as he traveled around preaching and teaching, his disciples were there with him. It was seven days a week and, and sometimes 24 hours a day. It, it was tough. It was tough. And we, we don't think about that very often. But every once in a while, you know what? Even Jesus needed a break. He needed some rest. And so in, in, in Mark chapter 4, it tells us that he, he got one of the fishing boats and he loaded his boys up, his disciples, and they got in the boat and he said, let's go. Well, you know, a lot of those guys were, were fishermen. It may have even been James or John or Peter or Andrew's boat. I mean, it very well could have been. And so they push out. And, and it's, it's, it's not, listen, it's not a rowboat, okay? It's, it's not a, a John boat. It's not a little aluminum dinghy, okay? It's, it's a pretty good-sized boat. And if you go to Israel today and you happen to go to the Sea of Galilee, you can go out in a boat that is very similar, that was very similar to what they used in the first century. In fact, they found a first century fishing boat in the mud. Uh, several years ago when, when it was a dry season and the waters receded back, and they have the, the, the skeleton somewhat of that boat today. They built a, a, a museum around it, and you can see that there. But th- they got into the boat... And they pushed off. Well, lo and behold, you know what Jesus does? He lays down on a seat, on a bench, rolls up his, probably his robe, and he goes to sleep. I mean, two breaths, he's snoring, okay? He's cutting Z's. Any of y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm so tired this morning that if I could just sit down and listen to one of y'all, I'd be asleep in a few minutes, okay? I'm just being honest with you this morning. But that's what Jesus did. He, he just, boom, he went to sleep. He was worn out. And, and here's something that, 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 that we need to realize. When you minister, when you really minister to people, and you get involved in people's lives, I'm not talking about waving some fairy, religious fairy dust over them. I'm talking about waiting in there where they live. That stuff wears you out. It wears you out physically. It wears you out emotionally. And it can wear you out spiritually. And so Jesus realized that every once in a while you have to get away. You have to get a breath. You need a vacation. Folks, vacation is not bad. It's okay. Amen. Every once in a while we all need a few days off. Okay? God didn't design us to work seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Every once in a while we need a little rest. And, and Jesus realized this. And so he gets in the boat. They push off. And he realizes that if, if I don't get away, if I don't come apart, I'm going to come apart. Okay? Any of y'all ever, some of you right now are just a little stressed. I mean, some of you waving at me. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You know what happens when you get stressed? You get short. You get ugly. Your voice changes. Uh, you give orders. They're short and snappy. And you don't you don't see it, you don't feel anything because you're you're consumed with what's going on inside. And we all need to get apart, come apart every once in a while before we before we come apart. So Jesus climbs in the boat, and according to Mark chapter four, verse thirty eight, he goes to sleep. And they're sailing along across that 
uh, ocean, I mean, ocean, across that, it's, it's like Gunnersville, okay? Let me just, it, that's what it, every time I go, I've been to Israel twice, and it just reminds me of Gunnersville for some reason. It's, it's a big old lake, harp-shaped in a sense, they say. And they're, they're, they've set out, and they're headed across the lake. And all of a sudden, you know, the sky starts to turn dark, and the wind starts to blow. And storms are not unusual, on that lake, okay? But this storm's unusual, all right? They're panicked. Now, these are guys that live on the lake, work on the lake. They worked on the lake all their life. They've seen big storms, little storms. They're panicked. This is not like any other storm. And, and they're so panicked that they don't worry about Jesus and how much sleep he needs. They wake him up. Lord, don't you love us? Don't you care about us? And you know what Jesus does? He gets up, and he says, hush, be still. He's not talking to the disciples either, okay? He's talking to the wind. Now, I, want you to, I don't want you to miss this, because this kind of lays the context for, for what's fixing to happen. God didn't send that storm, Okay? The devil sent that storm. That storm had a, a specific uh, uh, reason for coming. It was to keep Jesus from going where Jesus was going. See, Jesus had an appointment on the other side. There was a, a man who lived on the other side that God loved, that God cared about, that God knew exactly where he was, and God loved him so much that he put the Son of God and 12 disciples in a boat, and was sending them to him. Now, we, we don't think about that because we come to the end of chapter 4, and it's a new day, a new world, and chapter 5 begins. But it's not. It's a continuation of a day. See, Jesus has got a divine appointment across that water. And so what happens is Satan doesn't want what's going to happen to happen. And so he sends a storm. Now, some of you are saying, well, you know, I don't really think the devil, you know, does he have power over the weather? Well, I don't know that he has power over the weather, but he has access to storms, okay? If you don't think so, read Job chapter 1, all right? He asks permission from God. And God says, you know what? You can have that, Job. All you want, do anything you want, but you can't touch him. And the Bible says that, that a great wind came up, and it destroyed Job's house, and it destroyed all his children that were in the house. God didn't send that storm. The devil did. Now, I'm not going to get off on this, but, okay. Jesus gets up, and he says, hush, be still. In other words, be quiet and sit down. And it gets calm as it can be. He had an appointment to keep. And folks, listen to me. The devil cannot keep God from his appointments. And the storms that the devil sends cannot keep God from his appointments. The boat arrives safely on the other side of the lake. And it arrives in a, in a place, in a, they would call it a country, but I mean, it, it's, it's, it's an area where the Gadarenes lived, or the Gerasenes lived, or the Gergesenes. I mean, it depends on what your translation is. It's known as Kersey today, K-U-R-S-I-A. And in 1997, I had a, an opportunity to go to Israel, and, and we went to Kersey. 
And it changed the way I see Scripture. You say, well, why? Well, in my mind, what happens later when the pigs stampede and run off into the lake, in my mind, they plunged off a, a cliff, okay? That's, that's what I thought because I, I knew enough about pigs to know they weren't going to go swimming. Okay, pigs don't like water a lot. They like a little bit of water because it makes mud. But when it's over, you know, they, just, they don't do well in water. They drown. Okay, and I could tell a story about Boy Scout camp at Indian Valley. And if, if you know anything about that, anyway, I'm not going to. I just know enough about pigs. They, don't, they make great flotation devices after they drown. Okay, I'll, I will say that. <laughs> I'm going on now. I've got to move from there. Okay. So anyway... This is what Kersey looks like. There's an, there's an old ch- foundation of a church there in the, in the first, second, third century or so, uh, maybe the fourth century. Uh, s- some monks built a church there because it was, a, it was a holy place. I mean, what we'll talk about today is the reason. And then there's, there's a, a sloping hill. It's a steep slope, but it's not straight up. You can walk up it. And up in that hill is a cemetery. And you know from what we've been talking about that, that they dug holes out in the limestone and they carved caves out and they put stones in front and that's what's there. There's some tombstones there today. But it's just a green sloping hill down to the shore. It's, it's a beautiful place. And so Jesus arrives there. And, and, and Jesus, God is leading Jesus to a spot because there's an object of God's love there. There's somebody that God loves. And it's a person, folks, and sometimes we forget this. It's a person who's made in the image and the likeness of God. It's somebody that God cares about. And this man that's there is just existing. Okay? He's not living. He's just existing. And he's tortured and he's tormented. And God wants to set him free because God's got a plan for his life. And you know what? God's not really concerned all that much about what he's done or what's been necessarily, you know, what he's done to somebody else. He's interested in getting Jesus there because when Jesus comes into that situation, it will change. And so God blows the boat ashore right there. The wind didn't blow it ashore there. It's a destination that that Jesus had. Listen to me, the storms that are blowing right now in your life, they may be the result of something that you've done. They may be the result of something that somebody else has done to you. They may be what the devil is trying to do to you. But I want you to realize something. God is guiding the boat that you're in. He's guiding it. And He will take it to the place where He wants to take it. He'll take it so that you'll have an encounter with Jesus. There'll be a collision. Now, as, as the boat touches shore, Scripture tells us that when Jesus, in verse 5, I mean verse 2, when Jesus had come out of the boat, immediately there was a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit who met him. Uh, I love the book of Mark. Mark uses immediately. Now. He's an action-packed writer. And says, they hit the shore, and all of a sudden, something happens. Verse 6 says, and seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and he bowed down before him. Now, I want you to think back about four or five minutes. Here's Jesus on the boat. They've just gone through the storm. He says, that's, boys, that's where we're going right there. Well, on the other side, 
up in that cemetery, there's a cave. And in that cave, there's a man. And he's sitting there. And he's confused. And he's wild-eyed, okay? His eyes are bugged out on stems. I mean, they're bloodshot. He doesn't sleep, okay? He may collapse every once in a while and pass out, but he doesn't sleep, all right? He's sitting in that cave. and We don't know his name. The Bible never tells us his name. Legion, listen to me, listen to me. That's not his name, okay? It has nothing to do with him. And so he's sitting in that cave, and he's staring out of that cave. You know what? This is going to be hard for some of you, but that could be any of us. That's why his name's not mentioned here. God wants us to put us in his place. Folks, he could be anybody. And he's sitting in that cave, and he's staring out, and his eyes are transfixed on that horizon. And he's wishing somebody would help him. And he sees a boat. It's a dot at first. And then the closer it gets, the more excited he gets. He probably stands up. And folks, he's a sight, okay? I don't know much better way to put it than that. Number one, he's naked, okay? This is not the Garden of Eden. Y'all do realize that. People didn't go naked in this culture. He's naked. He has no clothes. He's, he's caked with blood and mud. And his hair's matted. And his beard's matted. And there's all kind of, I mean, I, you know, he's, just, he's a mess, Okay. And the scriptures tell us that, that, that you know, he, he lives in the tombs, lives in the mountain area. And so here he is, and he's, he's probably shivering because, to be honest with you, the wind that comes off that water is pretty cool. I don't care how tough you are. You haven't got any clothes on, it's cold, okay? And so he, he, he's there, and, and when he stands up, his mind explodes, in a sense. All of a sudden he starts to hear these voices. And and he's got these memories and, and he's got all these emotional wounds, but he starts to hear these voices. Sit down. Get back down. Get back in the cave. Shut up. Don't go outside. They'll see you. I said, sit down. If they see you, they'll kill you. They're coming to get you. You're worthless. They're going to execute you for what you've done. So you heard those voices. Folks, here's a deal. Here's a guy who, according to what I'm going to read, could have starred in any horror movie he wanted to. All right? He could have been on The Exorcist. All right? He, he was scary. Listen to what it says in, in, in chapter 3 and, and 4. It says, and he had his dwelling among the... He lived in a cemetery. All right, and if you, if you read Matthew, there's another cat out there living in the same cemetery, in the same area. There's two of them. And no one, let me read that again, no one was able to bind him anymore. He couldn't be restrained. No one means his family, the sheriff in town, 
the Roman soldiers. Nobody could contain him. Nobody could bind him, even with a chain. Now, all y'all know what a chain is, don't you? When a chain doesn't hold something, what do you do? You get a bigger chain. All right? Amen. How many of you have got dogs? You ever had to put one on a chain? We've got one. We put him on a chain. He broke the chain. We got a bigger chain. You keep getting a bigger chain till you find one that holds you. Listen to what this says. No one was able to bind him even with chains because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. Literally, they would put these deals, these, these metal, iron, whatever it was, they would shackle him up, shackle his feet up. They would shackle his arms up. And the chains, he'd tear them up. He'd rip them apart. And he'd, he'd slam the shackles and break them. Broke the shackles into peace. Nobody was strong enough to subdue him. And constantly, night and day, among the tombs in the mountains, he was crying out and he was gashing himself with stones. If you look at Luke, Luke tells us he was naked. So there you have a picture. He's a wild man. He's screaming and crying to the top of his lungs. He's taking rocks and he's just, I mean, he's just, you know, he's doing anything he can do. He, I, he may be trying to kill himself. I don't know. He's just trying to get rid of the pain. Now, this is a picture of what people would call a madman, right? A madman. Somebody who society would say is mentally unstable, who's nuts, who's crazy. He was a throwaway in his society. Can I just tell you something? He would be a throwaway in our society. Now, they might lock him in a room somewhere in an institution but they would throw away the key. Things haven't changed a lot. There was nothing anybody could do for him. He was scary. He was terrifying. They didn't anybody go to the cemetery. They didn't go to put flowers. It's coming first Sunday in May is coming up, and nobody's going to be at decoration at the cemetery in Kersey because this guy is a terror there, okay? Nobody's going there. but he's all by himself. He's at the mercy and the torment of the enemy. His family, the authorities, and his community have given up on him. They've said, good riddance, hasta luego. Vaya con Dios, go with God. We're done. Nothing we can do. Now, Scripture tells us he was demonized. All right? Now, I'm going to take a time out here because I, I want to communicate some things I don't want you to miss. All right? This, this is a big deal. This is going to be demonization 101. It may go against what you've been taught in Sunday school. It may be, go against what culture teaches you. This is what the Bible says. All right? He was demonized. Let me be clear. He was not demon-possessed. All right? He was demonized. Demon-possessed is not a word that appears in Scripture. Now, it may appear in your translation, but it does not appear in the Greek text. In 1611, the translators for the King James Bible added the little word possessed because they were trying to explain to people what this was like. 
It, it was, they didn't do it to add anything to Scripture. There, there's lots of, of places in Scripture where a, a word is added to communicate a Greek meaning that we don't have another word that is equal. And so they put that in there. Now, in 1611, what we think possessed means and what they understood it to mean are a little different, okay? Let me ask you a question. If I called you on the phone and I said, let's go eat meat, what would you think we were going to do? We're going to a barbecue place. We're going to eat steak. We're going to eat meat, right? Well, in 1611, when you said, let us go and have meat together, it meant to sit down to dinner and have a meal. And you know what? Most people had no meat to eat. When, when, when it is translated in John chapter uh, 14, and there are many, in my father's house are many mansions. Nobody lived in a mansion except the Lord of the manor and the king. And so when he translates, when they translate the word, it's, it's nesting place. But in our minds, we got southern mansions in heaven, right? Y'all know, what and, and they may be, okay? That's what, well, I got to, you know, they may be, but it was a word to have a place with a roof over it in that time was a mansion. You understand what I'm saying? And so what they do is they, they insert that word. Well, that word takes on a whole meaning for itself over the years. And so when you get to, to 2013, our idea of possession is ownership. The devil owned this man. And folks, that's not what Scripture teaches. There are two different ways of expressing uh, demonization. One is a word that, that literally means to be demonized. It's, it's diamanzumai, okay? That's the best way I'm going to say it. You don't have to remember it. It's about this long, okay? It just means to have a demon. The other one is echo, daimion. And that's what this one says at the very beginning. When, when my translation says in verse 1, Two, just as Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit. That's not what the text says. It, it says, echo, he had a demonic spirit. He had an unclean, literally is what it means, an unclean spirit. So there's two words, and those words are used every time in the New Testament. In fact, both of those words are used in this text. There's no, they didn't know anything about demon possession, okay? Now, we've got all kind of arguments in the church about oppression, repression, suppression, possession. Those are mute arguments, okay? All the Bible knows is demonization. And you can be mildly demonized, you can be moderately demonized, or you can be severely demonized. This man is a poster child for severe all right? The bottom line is, guess what? If you're mildly or severely demonized, you are demonized. And you, have, you are in bondage. Now, I'm going to take another step off in deeper water, all right? Y'all stay with me. We're, we're at a timeout right here, okay? Believers can be demonized. See, we're not talking about this goofy term, possessed. That has nothing to do with Scripture. 
If you open yourself up to the enemy and you disobey God and you don't do what God says, you can be in bondage to demons. All right? You can be a bondage. You can be afflicted or affected, afflicted or affected by them. Now, is everybody with me? I know I've just wandered right into a place where we've been taught all kinds of stuff. Scripture just teaches demonization. It doesn't teach degrees. Listen to me. If you're dead, you're dead, right? Is there any degree to being dead? No, you're just dead. Listen, if you're being, if you're being harassed by demons, it's demonization. And whether it's mild or severe, you're still in bondage, okay? So any of us can be this guy. And we can be this guy right now in church. And we can worship and sing to the top of our lungs, and we can still be tormented on the inside. Is everybody with me? Okay, we're going to, timeout's over. We'll move back into the story, okay? I think this man was a Jew. Now, there are lots of commentators and theologians who think he's a, he's a Gentile because he lives in an area, and, and their, their idea that he's a Gentile is because there's, there's a hog farmer uh, grazing his hogs right next door. Well, typically, when Jesus deals with someone that's not a Jew, they make a note of it. The Syrophoenician woman. The Samaritan woman. This and that. It's, it's interesting because Jesus came to the Jews. And he says that over and over. So I believe this man is a Jew. Uh, all we know about him is found right here in this passage. We don't hear anything before. We don't hear anything after. We don't know how he got to this place in life. But you know what? This guy could be us. Every one of us. If not for the grace of God. Now, I want to I just kind of conjecture a little bit. How did he get here? See, I think for me that makes him human. Otherwise, he's, he's some creature on a horror film. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't, you know, he, he's, I mean, he's, I got to be careful what I say. Uh, he could be a creature on a horror film. We just leave it there. Okay, y'all know what I'm talking about. You know what? Somehow he got from point A to this place. It was a process. Maybe, perhaps, when he was a little boy, he was beaten. Maybe he was abused. Maybe he was made fun of and called names. You know, maybe, perhaps, he slipped a bottle of wine out of his mother's cupboard Took it out behind the house and popped the top. Took a few drinks. Hey, you know what? I like the way this tastes. And then he couldn't stop. Or maybe he did that because his buddies were there and his friends were there, and they were they were uh, they were going back and forth with him. And and you know, how many of you remember being teenagers? Peer pressure hadn't changed a great deal. It's just a lot more. So maybe he fell in love with with the taste of wine. Maybe, you know, he tried some drugs. Drugs were available in the first century just like they were in the second century. I mean, the, whatever century we were in, 21st? Okay. Drugs have been available since 
pretty much the beginning of the world. Maybe he took those drugs to forget about some kind of pain. Or maybe it was his buddy's agony moan. We don't know. Maybe he couldn't stop. Maybe perhaps he was an orphan. You know, it was not unusual in the first century for orphans to, 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 to take care of themselves and to live on their own. Maybe he didn't have anybody to love him. Perhaps he'd been a husband. And his wife died all of a sudden. Or she ran off and left him. Perhaps he'd been a father. And he had a baby boy or a baby girl. And all of a sudden that child got sick. And no matter what they did, they couldn't save that child and that child died. Maybe that child was killed in a freak accident. Maybe he was in business. And he had a profitable business. And the business failed and he couldn't deal with the failures. Maybe he had somebody that had hurt him and he refused to forgive them. And in his heart he said, you know what, I'll get even someday. God forbid this last one, but it happens all the time. Perhaps he had real questions about God. Okay? He's a Jew. How many of you realize young people have questions about God? I'm not even a young people, and I still have questions about God. But you know what we tend to do when people have questions about God? We, tie, we tend to give them trite Sunday school answers and expect them to believe it. And if they don't believe it, well, they're just whatever. Maybe he had some real questions about God. And nobody took time to answer them. Or, or at least say, you know what, we'll find the answer. Or maybe they just condemned him for asking. I have heard Christians condemn young people for asking questions. Look, you know what, there's not a question that we can ask that scares God. If we're just honest, God show that person that answer. We don't have to give them the answer necessarily. Maybe they condemned him. Perhaps in his search for God, you know what he did? He stumbled on another religion. He, he, we're all spiritual beings. Maybe he stumbled on something else. Maybe he got into idolatry and, or, or witchcraft. Folks, I don't know what or why this man's in this condition. But here's what I do know. He's somebody's son, which makes him somebody's grandson. And at this point in his life, nobody but God cares one iota for him. Folks, that could be any of us. That could be you right now at this moment. That could be how you feel at this moment. And you know what? You may be tormented. Listen, if, if you hear voices, now I, I want to I be careful here, okay? Because I don't mean there's a stereo system going on in your head, but if ever so once in a while you hear something like, you know what? You're worthless. 
They don't love you. They could care less about you. You do this, you do that. Why would God love you? You know where that does not come from? That does not come from you, and that does not come from God. Therefore, it has to come from somewhere. Well, it comes out of my mind. No, it doesn't come out of your mind. It comes from the enemy. He has come to kill, steal, and destroy. He is the king of condemnation. He is the king of shame. He is the king of guilt. Folks, he uses that stuff, and he whispers those things. You may be constantly attacked and harassed. And you may be that way because, hey, there's some sin in your life. And you hadn't repented of it. It could be because a tragedy occurred, and when when that tragedy knocked your life down, the devil stuck his foot in the doorway, and he hadn't been removed yet. It could be that that something uh, uh, wounded you. You got hurt, and the devil stuck his foot in that little crack because he wanted to gain some ground. You know what? You may have messed up and give him a foothold. Or he may have illegally moved in. Okay, and when I moved, talk about moved in. Let's don't get, let's don't get all caught up whether he's inside or outside. Okay, he's a spirit being. The enemy is is spirit. Let's just put it this way: he is he's he's on property that belongs to you, and that belongs to God, perhaps. And he's doing everything he can to destroy your life, folks. That's demonization. That's what it is. It's, it's that simple. It can be mild. It can be moderate. It can be severe. You can call it oppression. You can call it suppression. You can call it oppression. Repression. You can call it depression. All right? You can call it anything you want to call it. But it's called in the Bible demonization. And folks, it affects us if we're not vigilant and we're not careful. I will say this again. The devil did not own this man. All right? He didn't own this man. Because at the moment Jesus stepped on shore, what took place in this man? What did he do? Y'all tell me. If you have to read, just look. I'm going to stand here until somebody tells me what he did. He ran to Jesus. All right? Now, I just want to use... The Bible is so common sense. Okay? Did the demons tell the man to run to Jesus' feet? No. So somebody told him to run. Now this is my this is this is my own thought. I think when he was staring out that window, all of a sudden, when all those voices were screaming, it got real quiet in his head, and something said, "Run." Except it wasn't a something; it was someone. It was God. Run. And the Bible says he took off. Now, he's way up here, and he, I mean, I, I just, I want you to picture this. Try to get this picture in your mind. You're stepping off a boat, okay? Now, there are farmers. There's one terrorist. There's, there's, you know, there's some other guy, tax collector. There's a rabbi. They're all, for the most part, pious Jews, okay? They're dressed, and all of a sudden, you look up on the hillside, and here comes this 
mound and uh, of hair and it's flipping and and all of a sudden you realize this guy got no clothes on and and he's a big old boy okay and and he's tumbling and running and and he's tripping and getting up and his slobbers coming out of his mouth and painting his, his bizarre pictures i can't because it was bizarre and he runs right up to you and he's screaming the whole way what would you have done push off <laughs> <laughs> that's what we've done. I mean, that, that's I mean, we read this and we, we just, you know, I mean, this is the last place the devil wants him to go. Okay? Folks, listen to me. The last place that Satan wants you to go is to the feet of Jesus. All right? That's the last place. Because every time those spirits end up in Jesus' presence, you know what they do? They say the same thing every time. I mean, he, he says it here. What do I have to do with you, Jesus, the most high, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, don't torment me. They know Jesus. They know who He is. They know when they're in the presence of Jesus. And so, all of a sudden, they begin to scream and cry out. Obviously, it's a painful experience for them. And so they, they come into Jesus' presence and they always answer this way. You are Jesus. You are Yeshua, the Son of the Most High God. You are Yeshua ben El Elyon. El Elyon. And, and that's, the, that's the, the name for God that the devil and the demons resp- that refer to. The God Most High. You are God. I mean, that's what they're saying. We may act like gods. We may empower idols, but you're the God most high. That's what those spirits are saying. Folks, they know who he is. And this guy is messed up. All right, let's just say amen. He is messed up, but he is right where he needs to be because he's at the feet of Jesus. Let's just be real honest this morning. We're all messed up. Every one of us, to some degree, now, as far as I can tell, none of y'all came running in here with rocks in your hand, gashing yourself with no clothes on. Because you probably would have probably called 911, and uh, they'd come down here and got you with a butterfly net, all right? Or whatever. But you know, you can be just as tormented and just as tortured with a smile on your face, a nice shirt, pretty dress, your hair fixed just right, your makeup perfect, as this man was. Okay? You can be just as tortured. All of a sudden, there's an encounter with Jesus, and everything changes. See, what was missing in this guy's life was a relationship. One relationship it was with Jesus. And the enemy had taken what was missing. And he had used it in an attempt to destroy him. Listen, folks, he wasn't living in a cemetery because he wanted to. He wasn't naked because it was cool or it was in. I mean, this wasn't a nudist colony in the cemetery. He wasn't gashing himself with a rock because it felt good. Okay? The devil was doing everything he could to kill, steal, and destroy this man. But God had not allowed it to happen yet. You know why? 
because there was an appointment coming on a specific day at a specific time when this man would meet the Son of God. When he would stand, when he would not stand, but, but literally lie at his feet in his presence. Folks, this guy had made some bad choices, very likely. He had done some things that, that he shouldn't have done, very likely. He'd hit bottom, okay? You don't get any, it doesn't get any worse in this culture than to be naked and living in a cemetery, all right? He's unclean, which meant he, he couldn't worship. He couldn't go to church on Sunday morning. He's unclean. Not to mention he's, he's nuts. He's halfway nuts. He's hit the bottom. He's got nowhere else to run. So you know where he runs? To the feet of Jesus. Now some of you this morning are running as hard as you can. And the enemy has a whip and he is beating you to death with it. And you're running harder. And he's driving you along and, and you don't even realize it. Some of you are running away from things. Some of them are things that you think are going to hold you back. Your past. Your, what, what, what's a, what, where you came from. It might be your family. Some of you are running after things. So you, can, you don't just have to run away from things. You can run after things. It could be what you think will make you happy. It could be fortune. could be fame. The common denominator in all this is you're running. Okay? If you're going to run, why not run to Jesus? Why not run to Jesus? Now, Jesus asked this man a question. He didn't ask the demons this question. He asked this man this question. What is your name? The Lord was so interested in him, he wanted to know this man's name. Well, what happens is, the enemy wrestles control of his voice. And the enemy answers. I want you to listen to what he says. My name is Legion, for we are many. Now, you probably know this, but a legion was 3,000 to 6,000 soldiers. And so this demon is declaring that there's a bunch of us in here. We're many. Now, you know why they're doing that? Because they want to back Jesus up. They want him to back off. This is like a dog on a chain that starts growling. You ever gotten too close to a dog on a chain? Hair stands up, starts to growl. You know why? Because you're getting on his territory. And it scares him a little bit. Folks, they're scared to death. Now they may growl and they may manifest. And that's what happens when demonic spirits are placed in danger. They manifest. And that's what takes place right here. They start to manifest. Start to... So we're many. The enemy, is when he's confronted by one who's more powerful than he is, he manifests. He does all kinds of things. This one growls and says, we're legion. There's more of us in here than you think. You better back off. Guess what? Jesus is not real impressed. We all get hung up on the name, 
right there. And how many it is. We get hung up on, he's the Gadarene demoniac, or he's legion. Folks, Jesus is not hung up on that. We get hung up on how many pigs drowned that day. 2,000. Can I just tell you, I've never seen 2,000 pigs at once, and I've been to some hog farms that were pretty large. That's a ton of pigs, okay? That's a lot of hogs. That's a lot of them. 2,000 hogs. We get impressed by that. But folks, the issue of this story is a man and the love of God. That's it. And it seems, as you read this text, and it doesn't just seem that way, it's exactly what the text teaches, it seems Jesus had been commanding this spirit over and over to come out. Okay? Now, you can do with that whatever you want to do with it, but it didn't happen the first time he said go. But it did happen. The reason they didn't come out because they're stalling for time. They don't want to lose their base of operation. They got a pretty good deal right here. Everybody's terrified of this guy. I mean, he's like the, the, the Sasquatch in his community. They're, they tell all kinds of tales. They gather their kids together at night and tell tales about don't go to the cemetery, blah, 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 blah. He's created, uh, the devil has created a fear that's spread out all over the place. In fact, they call this region Decapolis. And, and what it means is ten cities. There's ten cities, ten communities in this area. This guy's known far and wide as the booger man in the cemetery. Okay, they're scared to death. The devil's done exactly what he wants to do. He's created fear. And so they begin to try to make a bargain. That's what devils do. They don't want to lose their place. Because they know Jesus is more powerful than they are. But folks, listen to me. This story is not about demons. This story is not about the devil. It's about Jesus and how much he loves one person. How much he loves us enough that he would go from where it was safe to a place where it wasn't safe on a boat. And then he would get out and head to a cemetery where a wild man lives because he loves him that much. Folks, listen to me. Jesus is right here. He slipped in this morning with us. He's here. And he's come to you. For you. He's not concerned what's going on in your life. It doesn't frighten him. He's not going to back off. He's determined to confront whatever it is and to deal with it. See, our, our thing is we think we have to get everything taken care of. That's why Jesus died on the cross, so that he could take care of everything. And folks, he will if we'll just let him. Jesus speaks, and those demons go out. You know the story. They go into the hogs. The hogs go nuts. They run down the bank. And, and see, that's what, that's what captured me. They ran down the hillside. They didn't run off a cliff and plunge into the, to the sea. They, ran, they made a choice, ran down right into, off the shore, right into the water, and they just kept running until all 2,000 of them drowned. Do y'all, do, do, I mean, I, I, I don't know if you can grasp that or not. That, that is an amazing thing. That's how destructive these demonic spirits were. 
And this guy now is breathless. Jesus has taken his breath away. And then Jesus fills him with his breath. Fills him with the Holy Spirit. You say, well, Nelson, how do you know that? Well, I want you to look at Mark chapter 5, verse 15. It says, and they came to Jesus. Who is they? It's the hog farmers. And everybody that depended on the hog farmers for a living. I mean, when 2,000 pigs die, it creates a stir in farming country, okay? And when you start telling people that my herd ran into the Sea of Galilee and drowned themselves, it really creates a stir. So the, these folks turn out, and it says, and they came to Jesus, and listen to what it says, and they observed the man who had been demonized sitting down, clothed and in his right mind, the, mer- the very man. I mean, Mark's going to make sure we understand. It's the very same guy who had the legion. And it says they became frightened. This guy is free, folks. He's free from torment. He's free from condemnation. He's free from the voices. He's free from the fear, the guilt, the shame. He's free from the past. He is totally free. And he's changed. Okay, he's different. You say, well, how do you know he's different? Listen to what Mark chapter 5, verse 18 and 20 says. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, as Jesus was about to leave, the man who had been demonized was entreating him. Literally, the word treating means to beg. He was begging him with all that he had that he might go with him, that he might accompany him. And Jesus didn't let him. He said, well, why not? Well, here's the reason. He said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you. And I had mercy on you. And it says the man went away and began to proclaim. That word means to preach. He began to preach in Decapolis, the ten cities. Deca is ten, polis is cities in the ten cities. What great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Folks, they didn't just marvel. They turned to Jesus. Why? Because they knew this guy. They'd seen him break chains. They'd seen him crush the shackles. They'd seen him running wild-eyed and crazy. They could hear him at night when they lay down to sleep. And all of a sudden, peace, shalom, has rested in him. And you know what? They'd never seen that before. He became an evangelist. And he started telling everybody about Jesus. He left the tombs. Folks, he buried his past And he stepped into his God-ordained future as a witness for God's grace. He goes from wild man in a cemetery to traveling evangelist. Just like that. Didn't go to seminary. Didn't go to Bible college. Just like that. He went from wild man to wild man for Jesus. Okay? What about you this morning? Are you willing to step out of the cemetery maybe of your past? Are you willing to just to fall at the feet of Jesus and allow His mercy and His grace to set you free? Or are you going to continue to listen to the lies that the enemy is telling you? The Bible says the devil is a liar and a father of lies. So whatever he's telling you is a lie. 
You're going to let him hold you hostage? Folks, Jesus is here. And Jesus is willing to exchange himself for your bondage. And when he does that, he will leave you breathless. He'll take your breath away. But he'll replace it with his breath. He'll fill you up with the Spirit. So what are you going to do this morning? You know, sometimes, if bondage is all a person has ever known, it's safe. If you're in bondage, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you're not in bondage, this will sound like the stupidest thing in the world. But you know what? When you're in bondage to something, it's safe. Because you know the symptoms, you know what's going to happen, you know what's not going to happen. It's It's manageable. I don't mean it's controllable. It's just manageable. I can. This, this is what it's going to be like. But you know what? When freedom comes, if you've never experienced freedom, you don't know what it's going to be like. And it's scary. And there's some folks in here this morning that are scared to death of that. They'd rather stay in the bondage because they know, they, you know, I can control that. I can put a little makeup on. I can get my best dress out or my best pair of pants and shirt out. and Nobody will ever know it. Folks, when Jesus is in the house, bondage has to go. When he speaks, the enemy listens. And the enemy obeys. And folks, here's the deal this morning. Either you can run from Jesus or you can run to his feet. He's here. He wants to make a difference. So the moment really has come. You can choose the tombs and the torment you can choose the demons in desperation, or you can choose freedom in Jesus Christ. It's your choice. It's your choice. This man chose freedom, and he was not disappointed. Not at all. Listen to me. On the authority of Scripture, I can say this. You won't be disappointed either. Freedom will be the grandest thing you have ever known. Let's pray. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.